We're going to be in the last chapter of Genesis. Genesis chapter 50, we've reached the end. And as many times that we've taught, preached, and things on Genesis, we see God's plan fulfilled. We see it. Jacob has passed away. Jo- Joseph is kind of filling those shoes. And I really think there wasn't a ton of time between when Jacob passed and when Joseph passed. Ten years or less, maybe. I don't know. I haven't really done the research, but the language that Jacob says, it sounds as if he knows his time is short. He is starting to get his house in order, especially after we read the second chunk of Scripture. You'll see it there. Some, some indicators that he's not going to be there for long. So as we get into this story, we see how Joseph has set this example of Christ and how we should live like Christ throughout the last section, the largest section, the largest story in Genesis. And we always have this undertone, this underlying, ever-present experience maybe with his father throughout all this, right? And Jacob falls short in many, many accounts. And, and where Jacob tends to fall short, Joseph is rising to the occasion. And as we get this, I find that it's interesting because that's an example of us. We fall short many, many times. And we try to do it on our own way, in our own power, and our own understanding. And the Son of Man, the great I Am, Jesus Christ, sets the, the ultimate example, like Joseph does, has done for his brother. And we see this Christ figure in, this, in the Old Testament, and it's pretty amazing to see that. So we're going to start at verse 1, and we're going to read through 26. No, we're not. We're going to read through 13. We're going to read half of it. And then we will break the last two sections up into two more points. Okay? First one goes like this. It says, Joseph threw himself on his father and wept over him and kissed him. Then Joseph told the physicians who served him to embalm his father's body. So Jacob was embalmed, and the embalming process took the usual 40 days, and the Egyptians mourned his death for 70 days. When the period of mourning was over, Joseph approached Pharaoh's advisors and said, please do, not, please do this favor and speak to Pharaoh on my behalf. Tell him that my father made me swear an oath and said to me, listen, I'm about to die. Take my body back to the land of Canaan and bury me there in the tomb I prepared for myself. So please allow me to go and bury my father. After this burial, and I will return without delay. Pharaoh agreed to Joseph's request. Go and bury your father as he made you promise, he said. So Joseph went to, up to bury his father. He was accompanied by all the Pharaoh's officials, all the senior members of Pharaoh's household, and all the senior officials of Egypt. Joseph also took his entire household and his brothers and their households but they left their little children and flocks and herds in the land of Goshen. A great number of chariots and charioteers accompanied Joseph when they arrived at the threshing floor of Atad near the Jordan River. They held a very great and solemn memorial service with 
seven-day period of mourning for Joseph's father. The local residents, the Canaanites, watched them mourning at the threshing floor at Atad, and they renamed the place, which is near the Jordan, Abel Mezraim, for they said this place is a deep this is a place of deep mourning for these Egyptians. So Joseph's sons did as, his, they, as he commanded them, and they carried the body to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave in the field of Machpelah near Miriam, or Mamre, sorry. This is the cave that Abraham had bought as a permanent burial site from Ephron the Hittite. I know somebody was out there when I mispronounced that, and they're like, wait a minute, that's not, how you, that's not where he buried her last week. Well, then I corrected it, so that's why I had to do that. Just kidding. So, honor your father. Honor your father. It comes to the end. Did you know in Jewish tradition, they are not supposed to be embalmed, they are not supposed to be cremated, they're supposed to be buried. And they're supposed to be entombed and things and... Uh, so that is one thing that is a little bit unique that they do embalm uh, Jacob in this situation. I was kind of curious to see if Baruch would say anything about that, and he did. He said what I would say, the exact same thing. Uh, when, we, when we have passed on from this life, we are uh, present with the Lord, and that the, the shell doesn't mean anything, it's just a husk. And... Um, he also cited that since he is Jewish, he will be buried um, just regular, I guess, that he would be, but uh, he doesn't have any problem with anybody being cremated or, or I guess in this case, embalmed and things. Uh, but I thought that was interesting as well. Uh, he, he cites that because he would do that because he's Jewish and he doesn't want another Jewish person to fall away and some of the people that he runs with, that would help them out. On their, in their faith and things. So I thought that was also interesting thinking about how the Holocaust, how did Hitler take care of all those Jewish people? Well, we know he burned the Hus, you know, but uh, that would be sacrilegious to the Jewish people as well. So that's interesting as well. I also noticed. Honor your father. Obviously, it's honor your father and mother as well. We're going to get to that verse, but why? It's a command from the Lord. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 16 says, Honor your father and mother as the Lord your God commanded you. Then you will live a long, full life in the land the Lord your God is giving you. How far do you honor your father? If it goes against the word of the Lord then sometimes you got to say no if, if they're telling you to do something, right? There's times that uh, if it goes directly against the Lord, if they're telling you to, to sin directly, uh, you're going to have to honor your father by saying no. Uh, that is something that we have to tell youth more and more all the time, unfortunately. And But there are ways to get creative to honor both as well. So until those are both exhausted, uh, most of the time, there's, it's easy to honor your father, right? Uh, especially if you have a loving father, it's easy to, and one that loves you, it's easy to honor that person. If you don't, that's when it gets difficult sometimes. Jacob was a man worthy of honor. Yes, he had his times where he 
had walked back and forth, but I think if his, most of his sons would have listened to Joseph and when he preached, I don't think we would have been in many of the fickle situations that their family got themselves into. The Pharaoh allows Joseph to take Jacob back to his burial plot. He also allows Jacob's whole family to go with him, the trust that, that is there as well. And he honors them with chariots and senior officials and just quite the entourage that goes along with on that. So not only, I don't think, did Joseph have a part in the blessings of the Pharaoh, but I also think we see blessings from Jacob as well. Because why else would he honor him in, in such a way? And there's some indicators that I've... that point to earlier on when he brings them into the promised land where Pharaoh says, is there anyone in your household that might be do well with certain things? We would like them to be in charge of those things as well. And he actually points out his father is a great shepherd. And that's when they're like, well, then you need to take the land of Goshen. So, and if and if he's so good, then have him be in charge of my flocks and things as well. Uh, I don't think that's quite what Pharaoh wanted. I think Pharaoh wanted this great seer like we have in, in Joseph and this, well, if we get another one of you, we can conquer this land and we can have them be in charge and wow, look at us go. And uh, that wasn't to be the case. And that's not what the Lord wanted, was it? Um, he wants, God wants to get the glory, right? He deserves the glory to be given as well. So the locals of the land, they also honor, and they also understand the honor that was given to Joseph because of the grieving that has happened in this group. It was noted so much so that they changed the name of the land, which was also interesting. They do that many times when there was a big event that goes along with that. But... What I want to focus on it was, is this. It was Jacob's dream to flourish in and live in the promised land that God had given him. Right? Growing up, he had heard about this promised land. He was, had arrived in it. He was there. And through many bad decisions in his life, he didn't get to experience the promised land very much, did he? He had to run away to his father-in-law's to get away, find a wife. Uh, he comes back. He moves away, um, gets in trouble with the land of people, comes back. A drought happens. He moves away to Egypt. And so he has never settled in the promised land. And I think a lot of that indicates that his relationship with the Lord wasn't really correct until he was with Joseph. And if that is not an indicator of life with Christ, I don't know what it is. Because every time we run, we run away from Jesus, our life is unsettled. Every time we walk away, we have trials, we have tribulations, and we don't, we don't know how to go, we don't know where to go, unless we uh, trust and obey. It is what it takes. It is important for that to happen. And so this place was not his home. Egypt was not his home. He longed 
for the promised land. It says that in, in um, Hebrews chapter 11, right? In the faith chapter, it says he longed for a place that was not his home, a kingdom that was not there yet. We know that kingdom to be uh, heaven, and Jesus reigning possibly on earth will be all, also, right? But we, we long for that as well, right? That is our destination. That is our, our lamp off in the distance. That's our, our goal, right? Where do we stumble? Do we stumble on that? Do we stumble on that, that lamp? We might get down to a dark valley where we can't see our destination very well. So we might, but generally it's the next step. We stumble on our next step. So what do we light our next step with? God's word, right? And so we ask God for our provision for the next step in our life. So when Joseph, he gathers up all his family, he does this in honor, to honor his, his father in this funeral, the funeral procession. Notice that they leave their flocks, their young children, in the land of Goshen. This is also significant because this indicates that they're going to return. They're going to come back to Egypt because this is where God has designed them to come. Would they long to stay in the land, in the promised land? Yeah, they sure they would. That's not where God wants them right now. We're going to go where he is commanded, and I think that happens because of Joseph is listening to the Lord intently. And this is very significant because when you see them leave in the story of Exodus, when Moses is calling them out, we need to go, we need to take all our flocks, we need to take everything because we don't know what we're going to need when we get there. They're going in faith, right? And Pharaoh won't let them go, and he finally lets them go and says, take everything, get out of here, right? And it's an indicator that they're going to leave. So we need to have faith. We need to have faith like Joseph did. If God has put us in a time of exile, if God has put us in a time where we're struggling, then we need to have faith that he is going to lift us up and get us out of there. We need to follow the Lord wherever and whenever we go. I'm going to bust into a song right now. All my life, all I know, God's been good, good to my soul. Mountains high, valleys low. I'm gonna, he's going with me wherever I go. Song we sing at VBS, right? You're like, unbelievable. He is pulling out another VBS song. That's right. It's also sometimes on our closing music too. And I didn't know it had a second verse. Now I'm gonna have to look that thing up, so... Uh, I really enjoy that song, right? Because he takes the joy and he takes it along with us, right? Whether we're in good times or bad, sorrow and mourning or unhappy or just an average day, he is always with me wherever I go, whenever I go. It's like whenever you go. Well, sometimes I go on my timing and sometimes I go on his timing. When I go on his timing, it's a lot easier to go joyfully. When I go on my timing, I go usually begrudgingly, all right? Because I'm like, I don't want to come on my life. I want to Right? Kicking and screaming. You ever been that little kid with the Lord? Uh, more times than I want to care to admit. But Joseph, he was able to honor God in faith. And it resulted in blessings which spread from God to him 
and then went to his family his, and to others, right? We see this with Pharaoh. We see this with the land of Egypt was blessed because of that relationship. He sets that example very well. Let's continue on. Verse 14. It says, After burying Jacob, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had accompanied him to his father's burial. But now their father was dead, and Joseph's brothers became fearful. Now Joseph will show his anger and, and pay us back for all the wrong we've done to him, they said. So they sent this message to Joseph. Before your father died, he instructed us to say to you, Please forgive your brothers for the great wrong they have did to you. For their sin is for their sin in treating you so cruelly. So we, the servants of the God of your father, beg you to forgive our sins. When Joseph received the message, he broke down and wept. Then his brothers came and threw themselves down before Joseph. Look, we are your slaves, they said. But Joseph replied, Don't be angry with me. Am I God that I can punish you? You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for the good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. No, don't be afraid. I will continue to take care of you and your children. So he reassured them by speaking kindly to them. That's an instant replay, right? That's the exact same passage and the same scenario as when he revealed to him the first time. He broke down and wept. Until they wept, they did not approach him. This is the same thing here. He breaks down and weeps. He does the exact same reply. Nothing has changed. And this is really remarkable. It really is. Because if you look, I just got done listening to um, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, Jeremiah, and uh, Isaiah. All those kings after David, after Solomon. Some of them start well, and they don't finish well. Some of them don't start well, and they finish well. Some of them don't start or finish well, and very few of them start and finish well okay i think the biggest trend in those kings is they start well but they don't end well and here we see joseph setting an example that he has not changed in his faith from the beginning of it when he decided to follow the lord to the end of it when he is still following the lord this is amazing to me that he is able to stand the test of time. Perhaps he's more grouchy. I have no idea. Uh, his brothers are scared of him still because they're, they're like, Dad was protecting us. Now he's not. Joseph is leading them, and it shows a self-centered blessing that the brothers are trying to bring upon themselves. Versus a God-centered blessing that Joseph wants to give them. Well, how do you figure that? Well, let me explain. After the death of their father, their brothers focus on things of this world and not the Lord. Right? Because they are concerned that their brother Joseph was only committed to their safety because 
he was honoring his father, and now their father is gone. They feared retribution from Joseph now that their father was gone. And notice they're seeking forgiveness once again of their brother Joseph. This is out of selfish means because of the butts. And I said to protect their butts. And that it's B-U-T-S, butts. But what if Joseph does this? What if Joseph, but what if Joseph reneges? But what if since dad is gone, Joseph forgets? But what if, but what if uh, we did, what we did couldn't, Joseph couldn't do it too, right? We were able to forgive, but Joseph couldn't do it. So, how does he react to this? They're, con they're concerned about their own lives, right? If you look at the passage, it says, before Father died, he instructed us. It's interesting, they, they point out that your father and our father, it's, I see that as well. And I do love how they say the servants of God, your father, that they call themselves servants. So they're acknowledging that God is their God, uh, which they did not do the first time. And so they're reminding Joseph that we're, we're on the same team. And so they've grown a little bit, but they're still concerned for their lives, right? And if Joseph, when he walked into Egypt, if he was concerned about his own life, there would have been some trouble there, right? He would not have been concerned. He would not have been able to do what he did. He was concerned about what the Lord wanted with his life. There's a big difference between that, right? He was walking in obedience. Not only do we have um, God showing up in Joseph's life, but we see Joseph walking in obedience. So how does Joseph react to this? replay he breaks down and weeps he makes he does the same thing he looks past the problem and he honors God as the solution giver he looks past the problem and says listen we've dealt with this once I'll deal with it again I'll do it the same way in the fact that we can't let this hang your, up your faith. You need to keep growing. My time is becoming short. You need to take the reins here and give God the glory. He's the one that's going to walk you um, into salvation, right? He takes himself out of the place of authority, and he makes himself equal with his brothers. We've all been guilty. We all have the capability of singing, sinning again and repeating the same mistakes over and over. It is only in God's grace that we can learn to forgive and move forward together. Amen? Amen. So, friends, this is church, right? We can forgive our brothers who sin over and over and over the same way because Christ forgave us first. Isn't that awesome? That is, that is church at its simplest. It is pretty amazing. 
and I don't understand it, but at its most basic structure, forgiveness is one of the biggest foundations of church. So, if you've ever been in a counseling session with me, you've heard these next four. If you have not, welcome to Counseling with Pastor House. I'll be your host, Pastor House. You can call me Shane. That's right. Um, the problem wall, right? So you ever come across something that you run into, right? And it's a wall that goes in front of you. There's a wall there. So how am I going to get around this wall? How am I gonna, what am I going to do? Our first gut reaction is I'm going to push through this wall. I'm going to push, I'm going to go through this wall. And many times that does work, but when the wall becomes big enough, becomes strong enough, it's an obstacle we can't see past, we go square, we run square into that wall, and no matter how hard we hit that wall, it stops us. Right? And sometimes we keep hitting that wall because I've done it before. I keep hitting that wall and it's not moving. How come I can't get through this wall this time? Well, what, what are we going after this wall with? We're going after it with our own authority. And we need to turn that over to the Lord. So how do we get past this? Well, first we need to identify the problem. How did it come about? What did it where did it come from? Keep going. I got a one-liner right there that was really funny to me, but I don't know if it would be funny to you guys, so I'll keep going. We need to identify the problem. We need to identify the problem. What's, what's it entail? How big is it? Get a grasp on it. Is it big, bulky, thick? Has it been there for a long time, short time? In a sense, Pastor Dave would always say we need to move from unawareness to awareness, okay? So we are, we're unaware how big this problem is. We need to move to awareness to see how big, how much of this we can grasp. Next, we choose to look past the problem toward the solution, right? We always have the light on our destination. We always want to look toward Jesus. How can we get to Jesus? How can we be more like Jesus? How can we understand his love and acceptance for us. So how are we going to get there? Okay, there's usually about three ways to get around a wall. You can go around the wall, you can go over the wall, or you can go through a wall. I suppose through and under are the same. Okay, you got to do a lot of hard work to go through or under a wall. But sometimes that's necessary. It's usually the most painful, and it usually hurts the relationship the most, but sometimes, sometimes it's necessary, right? For example, if you are in a relationship where one has all the power and you do not, you need to go through that wall and uh, set some boundaries. Boundaries are definitely a through-wall thing, right? Unless they're willing to work with you, then they're an over-the-wall thing. You're like, what? You have to come to counseling more often, I guess. So I'll explain more. So what are some of the options? A lot of times, I can't see the options. I'm not sure where to go. I can't tell how big this wall is. I don't understand. I'm, I'm having a hard time grasping this wall. Okay? 
So we go to God's word. What's God's word say about this wall? I'm dealing with anxiety, pastor. I need to know how to deal with this. What do I need? I need to understand what God's word says on how to fight anxiety. How can I cast my cares on Christ? How can I do that, Lord? Okay, maybe it's um, with relationships. I'm going to go look at David. He had some of the messiest and best relationships ever, right? So I'm going to go see what David had to say in the Psalms. How did he cry out to the Lord when it came to messy relationships? I am still baffled. I still don't know what to do, pastor. I am going to go ask for help then. I'm going to find wise counsel. I'm going to talk to the elders about this. I'm going to talk to one somebody I trust that I can talk to, I can fight in, that we can um, work through this problem and that they can point me to some biblical solutions. Have you seen this pattern in my life before? Have you seen what it's done now? How do I get out of this here? So then we find the solution, right? The third point is we find a solution and we implement the change. Going over the wall. The wall's tall, it requires help. You need to hand, somebody to hand down and help you up, right? You got to remember as a hand down person, it's a lot easier to pull somebody down than it is to lift somebody up, right? So when you're hand down, you make sure you got a firm foundation what you're holding on when you're lifting somebody up. Also, they got to want to want that help. Because if they don't want the help and you're pulling up on them, they'll just pull you right down off that wall, right? So you got to be careful on that as helpers. They will suck you dry, um, sometimes financially, sometimes emotionally, sometimes spiritually, right? So find the solution. If it's help, get hand up. If it is, I can avoid the problem and or there's a way to walk around this problem and see it differently. I can walk around the wall. It takes a long time to get around that sometimes, but I can make it around and keep going. There's ends. I can see the end points on there. And sometimes when it's something I have to face and I don't want to, I have to go through the wall. And the only way you can go through a wall of problems is if Jesus leads the way. That's the only way you can go through there. And many times when we go to that wall and we hit it, and we hit it again, and we hit it again, is because Christ is not at the front of that wall. And he will be the change that can remove those boundaries and remove those barriers. And a lot of times, it starts with forgiveness. Many times, it starts with trust. And all the time requires faith. Right? Through it all, my eyes are on him. And it is well. Because faith requires action. Faith requires us to move forward in action. And our God in faith results in blessings which spread out from God through you to others. Let's be a conduit for the Lord Jesus Christ. Last scripture, start in verse 22 through 26. So Joseph and his brothers and their families continued to live in Egypt. Joseph lived to the age of 110. He lived to see three generations and descendants of his son Ephraim. And he lived to see the birth of the children of Manasseh's son, 
maker who he claimed as his own. Soon I will die, Joseph told his brothers. So I believe they were still all alive. That's why, but God will surely come to help you and lead you out of this land of Egypt. He will bring you back to the land he solemnly promised to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear an oath, and he said, what God, When God comes to help you and lead you back, you must take my bones with you. So Joseph died at the age of 110, and the Egyptians embalmed him, and his body was placed in the coffin in Egypt. All right. Blessing of a promise. Remembering his brother's fear and their constant need for reassurance, Joseph warns of his death. He knew his time was short. He knew how much they depended on him. And he promises that God will come and bring them back to the land that they were promised to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Joseph makes them swear an oath to have them take his bones with him. Why would he do something like that? Why would he have his bones taken out of Egypt? Maybe not. Why didn't he just ask, ask the Pharaoh to go up and, and bury them now? Right? Because this is where the Lord had them for the time. But he was going to deliver them out of this land of Egypt into the promised land. And it was a foreshadowing of the Exodus. He is saying, I will remain here with you, but you must swear a promise to me that we are going to go out of here together. And remember that God fulfills his promises to all who believe in him. It says in Exodus 13, 19, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel swear to, to do this. He said, God will certainly come to help you, and when he does, you must take my bones with you from this place. Okay? God was faithful through Moses to honor Joseph for his faithful service. What are some of the things God has promised us? Maybe I think that might be the wrong question. Where are the things God has promised us? You're like, well, I don't know. There, you said he's going to give us this blessing. I don't see these blessings. That's not what I mean. I don't mean like where are they? Can we see them tangibly? Where are they promised to us? In his holy word, right? So how do we know God's promises? We read about them in his holy word, right? So where are his promises? There is his holy word. So we need to read our Bibles. Read it and discover it for yourselves what we can expect from the Lord. Now, I remember when I was 17, 18, I knew my Bible pretty well. I had not written read through the whole Bible yet. I knew, I'm sure I read through all the New Testament, studied it very well. I knew it um, very well. I was a, definitely a Christian, 
probably, I, I knew for sure I'd go to heaven, not as sanctified as I am now, but um, working down that road. Called the ministry about four years later on that, right? So I'm walking through this, these promises, right? If somebody told me what I just told you in church at 17 and 18, you know what I would have done? My reaction was, yeah, yeah, I need to read the Bible. And then I'd go home and not read my Bible, right? I'd be convicted about it in church, but as soon as I got home, I'd, oh, yeah, well, I... I got to get my Bible out of the car. If I don't take the Bible out of the car, I'll forget it for Bible study. I'm leading Bible study. I can't do that. I need this and that and the other thing. I had the computer to, to look at these things, and I had all the excuses. And they were all decent reason, reasons, but uh, at the time, I was reading my Bible to read my Bible, and I needed my Bible to read it. Okay? Or... I would react like this. What do you know about reading the Bible? Of course I need to read the Bible. I can't believe we went back to this stupid, simple answer. And I wouldn't say that out loud to anybody, but in my head, that's what I would do. There was two answers that were wrong. And I remember getting challenged in Bible study by my brother, who was a few years older than me, and, a, and Tony Clawson. And they said, how many times you read, read your Bible this week? And I was like, well, I read it at church, and I read it at Sunday school, which is technically at church too, but I'm going to count it because I know, I know how this works. We had Wednesday night Bible study, and I had Sunday night Bible study, so I got Four, and did I? I read that verse off the refrigerator, so I'm going to count that as five, right? Or the calendar in the bathroom of mom and dad's, right? Five times. Well, that's good. Why not seven? Why seven? Well, that's one once a day. I definitely didn't do that. There's Monday and Tuesday. No way. Wednesday only because I had to study to get ready for. And then I said to myself, well, why not? Actually, it was Tony who said, well, why not? When we start to debunk some of those patterns of comfort, it really, when we face them head on and say, why not? Why haven't I read my Bible? Do I have a good reason the answer to me was always, no, I don't have a good reason. As I chose not to, is what it came down to. And so that was really convicted. And I started reading my Bible as I was going into uh, my junior year of, of, it took me a while yet, my junior year of college, I started reading through the Bible from the beginning. I didn't understand it all. Um, but that's when the Lord really started his calling on my life. I was really blessed by that. So, why? Why do we read our Bible? I'll close with this. I'll give an example of why we read our Bible. We use Scripture in prayer. 
This is a good way to do it, okay? It's one of God's special blessings. If you look this up, it's in Numbers chapter 6, verse 24 and 25. This is a one that um, I think Moses told Aaron to tell use over the people of Israel, and this came from the Lord. And many of you guys will know this passage. It says, may the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. Who is that focused on? Let me read it again. Listen. It says, may the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. Focus on two people, right? You're smart not to answer. <laughs> I was setting them up, right? It's, mo- it's focused on me, and it's focused on the Lord. It's focused on this vertical relationship. Isn't that awesome? If you read the Psalms, nearly all the Psalms, Psalms in there, are focused on that vertical relationship. And you can pray them like this. You can take that scripture and you pray like this. Lord, it's been a hard week, yet you have sustained me. You have kept me content to live within my means. Lord, I give you the praise for shining down on me. Praise the Lord for his favor. Praise the Lord for his peace. Lord, we praise you for your grace. And Lord, we praise you for your smile. You are an awesome God who loves us so much. Lord, we want to honor you with our faith that can bless others through the conduit of your servant. Guide and direct us this week as we go. Allow us to be disciple makers who make disciples of Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving me a disciple-making way of life in Christ Jesus. As I go through every part of this day, help me to love you and to love the people who cross my path, starting with my family. Don't let me miss the adventures you are sending my way to live and to speak the good news about Jesus today. Draw my heart to you and to specific people you want me to pull close for Jesus-like disciple-making friendships. By your word and spirit, transform me into a follower of Jesus who loves you, who loves people, and makes disciples, who makes more disciples ad infinitum. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You're dismissed.